husband and I, we heard some entrepreneur uh, with this quote. It's like, if you're completely happy with the first thing you put out, you waited too late. Like, oh, completely yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yep. If you're trying to make it perfect, you're leaving money on the table. You're missing out on your window. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Today's episode is brought to you by Gusto. Gusto offers modern, easy payroll benefits and HR to small businesses across the country. They were even named Best Online Payroll by PC Mag. And as a Side Hustle Pro listener, you will get three months free when you run your first payroll. So sign up and give it a try at gusto.com slash SHP. That's gusto.com slash SHP. Hey, hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. Today's episode is a rewind episode with Kim Lewis, the founder of Curlmix. Kim and her husband, Tim, are two entrepreneurs I really admire. They are teammates in life, love, and business, and their hard work has really paid off. Since this episode originally aired, they've grown exponentially, appeared on Shark Tank, turned down a $400,000 offer from the Sharks, and have turned Curlmix into a company with a $12 million valuation. On this episode, you'll hear them in the early days, before they even zeroed in on making products and were still selling do-it-yourself kits. Let's go ahead and listen to where it all began. Hey, Kim. Welcome to the Side Hustle Pro guest chair. So as you know, this month we're talking about how to create, sell, and market your physical products. And I just had to have you in the guest chair to share how you've been able to rapidly grow Curl Mix. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on the podcast. Oh, thank you. And I'm so happy to have you here. So tell us a little bit about Curl Mix. What is it and what led you to start the company? So basically, Curl Mix is the do-it-yourself box for curly hair. We send you all natural ingredients and the tools you need to mix your own hair care products without breaking the bank, and we shrink a four-hour job down to just 15 minutes. So that's kind of the idea behind our do-it-yourself subscription box. But Curl Mix is much more than just a box. We also have uh, workshops where we teach you how to make your own hair products, and then we also sell some pre-made products on our website as well, based on our best-selling boxes from previous years. Okay, I see you have that investor pitch down, girl. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. No, we'll you get it. Stay ready. Right. You have to stay ready. And I love it. And we're going to get into a little bit about these things that you've gone out there and grabbed for Curl Mix. So we'll get to that in a second. But I want to know more about you now. Now, I know it's you and your husband. Like, how did your background influence where you are today? So I actually started with a business degree because I kind of grew up poor. So I didn't want to be poor for the rest of my life. So I was like, okay, I need to learn how to run a business or learn business so that I can make money one day. Because, you know, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Single mom, five brothers and sisters. And so, you know, just not with very much money. So I went to business school and I quickly learned that it was not for me, corporate. I went to the University of Illinois, studied marketing and logistics. I had a double major. My supply chain management, to be more specific. And I had a bunch of different internships. I worked at General Mills. I, I was a part of MLT, Management Leadership for Tomorrow. You're going to meet a lot of excellent Black folks in that organization, so I love it so much. And then after graduation, I worked for a grocery chain. I worked for Aldi, 
And basically, I was a district manager in training for about three months, but it was a very, very intense program. And it was probably the most conservative company I could have ever worked for right out of college. And that was probably my biggest mistake Uh, (laughs) because I was a creative who happened to be in business. And so the company, I mean, I couldn't do things like, say, for example, we had a monthly wide meeting every month or every couple months. And, you know, you're supposed to wear a suit every day to work. Like during this eight hour meeting, I couldn't even take off my suit jacket. They're like, no, you're supposed to wear this all the time. I was the only black girl out of a hundred district managers and one of two black people out of the entire management of that district. And that's kind of crazy because we each manage four to five stores. So you're telling me out of 500 stores, you only have <laughs> one black female um, managers. But it was just very painful for me um, mentally and physically. I would cry every day after work. I really, really hated it. And so I talked to my husband and I just quit, like knee-jerk reaction, quit. That was not the best response, but you know, I was young. I was like 21. Me and my husband had just gotten married that year and I just did what I felt like was in my heart. I don't recommend that, but... (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, I've read that. I read your story and that always jumps out of me because it's what we talk about. You know, we we go back and forth on the show because some people do just go out there. And I assume like you didn't have this huge savings to fall oh, back on. Right? Right. I didn't have anything. We had, we had gotten married that May. I started my job in July. I had quit by September. We were in our first apartment. Like we didn't have money to make rent the next month because I had I was earning more money than he was at the time. And my mom cursed me out. She's like, how dare you quit your seventy thousand dollar a year job? She's like, You think you don't have to work like the rest of us? Like she was she went in on me. Um, you know, but it's funny because I had signed my husband up for Who Wants to be a Millionaire like a month prior. My husband's incredibly smart. And I was like, babe, like every time we watch this show, you know all the answers. I don't know anyone who knows all the answers. I was like, you got to be on the show. And he's like, Kim, this is a lottery ticket. This is a waste of our time. We're not going to do this. I was like, I don't care what you're saying. I'm going to book you a ticket to be on the show. I mean, to go visit, right? Because everyone has to visit the show first. And then from the 200 people, they uh, give you a test. And he was in, like the top 1% of people who answer the questions on the test. So out of maybe 200 people, him and five other people, they stay for an extra interview. And then he ended up being on the show. And wow. so he won $100,000. Get out! And- <laughs> Yes, he did. And he just could not believe it. He was like, wow, Kim, I was wrong. I was really wrong. Like, wow, you know, you were so right. I'm just going to listen to you. I was like, okay, good, good. Right. That's a good. So how long after you quit? Like, what were you doing in the meantime? So because, you know, on the show, we go back and forth about what to do and how, you know, you're ready to leave your job. I can't, you know, gloss over what happens when you quit without a plan. Right. So like, what were you doing (laughs) to make ends meet? before you know you got that windfall so even though he had one hundred thousand dollars on the show and this is in september right mm-hmm. you don't know when it's gonna air they say it's gonna air within eight months and even within eight months once it airs a month after is when you get the money so we were still broke like we didn't have anything and so i had i went to go work at a portrait studio for ten dollars an hour basically making googly faces at children and <laughs> taking photos of families for a good three months and then I just have a history of quitting things because then I ended up quitting that job because it was like the middle of like holiday season. We were working like 16 hours, 15 minute lunches. Like it was just, I'm like, this is just terrible. Like you people don't care about people. Um, but at the time my husband had gotten the money. So he had gotten the money for once a millionaire. And then, but it's not a lot of money. It's a hundred thousand dollars. You pay 20% taxes and probably more. So we ended up really just having a salary for the years. Mm-hmm. 
but I was I was working at a portrait studio for ten dollars an hour, and my husband was working at Starbucks, and he was like making like nine bucks an hour. And then I got a job at Diageo. It's like the um, one of the leading liquor companies yes. in their logistics department. Yeah, so they make like Hennessy and Smirnoff and all those kinds of bulletproof. And my job was managing the specs for those products. So every jar, every bottle they put out has, you know, the capsule has a certain number of inches that it's supposed to be or a certain diameter. And the label has a certain color. And there's a whole department that is man, um, focuses on putting labels and coming up with the structure of the bottle. And that was my job because I had a degree in supply chain management. You know, in business school, a lot of the black people were doing marketing. And I noticed, I was like, man, like I'm going to need some kind of hard skills or some kind of technical experience, something with math or engineering behind it if I want to make sure I can get a job out of college. When I got a job out of college, the only thing people really wanted to hire me for was my logistics experience, my supply chain management experience. It wasn't really about my marketing. So I thought that was really interesting. And I was very happy that I actually got that second, you know, major in that field. Mm -hmm. So when did Chromex come about in this mix now? You've gotten the money. How long after you quit Diageo did you start to say, OK, I'm going to try out this thing? So I was working for Diageo for the next six months, but I had started a different business. It was called Natural Hair Academy. It was a social network for natural hair. So, you know, a community like a Facebook for hair. But if you know anything about tech, niche social networks don't work. So if you have a girlfriend who's starting one, tell them to stop because... <laughs> <laughs> because you it just you can't get big enough to really be investable and even if you look at like a lot of the shark tank episodes and people were like oh i have this social network for fashion people all the social network for this and it's just like it's just not gonna work because facebook did it big they did it right and you know they're the only ones who really been able to succeed at that so i did that for about a year and a half and i had picked up photography skills at the time because in my portrait studio i had picked up web design. I picked up a bunch of different skills while I was running this business, but we didn't make any money because I didn't have a real revenue model because I didn't think it was important, right? It's like, it's a tech company. Tech companies don't need revenue models out the gate, you know, or at least they didn't used to. And so I did this for about a year and a half. And then I was like, you know what? Like, we're not making any money. I'm going to have to be an ad company if I want to make money. I don't want to be an ad company. So I ended up having to just close it. And like, honestly, we were doing a lot of things that it looks like a good business would be doing. Trade shows. We had weekly meetings with our team. We had a lot of media support, but no real dollars. And so I was like, I'm never going to do this again. I'm not going to start a company unless I can make money on day one because I've just spent a year and a half of my life and I don't have anything to show for it. But my connections. So I, I kind of knew people in the industry at this point. And we had moved it to Atlanta at this point as well because I figured this is, you know, the hair capital of the United States. At least I just assumed that, you know, I didn't have any real research behind any of my decisions back then. Um, and so I was living in Atlanta and trying to figure out what my next business would be, you know, but I was still making my own hair products and DIYing just because I like to do that for fun. And I was just, one day I had ruined the kitchen so bad. <laughs> I, you know, I spent hundreds of dollars at Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and other places. And my kitchen was a mess and I made parts that didn't even light. And I was like, there has to be somebody who just sent it to me in a box to save me some time. And there has to be somebody who just has a recipe that I know that works. So I went online searching, I mean, just scouring the internet and I could not find a single pe person or company that was doing this. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Like, this is such a basic idea. I guess I'm sure people have thought of this. Like, why isn't this out there? So I started calling on my friends, like, have you heard of this idea? What do you think? What do you think? And like, I love the idea. I think it's great, but it's going to be a logistics nightmare. And I think that's why no one is doing it. So unless you can figure out the logistics of, you know, getting these different items and coming up with these recipes, the new one every month, 
then, you know, it's going to be very, very hard, but I think it could be great. And so that's when we decided to launch Curl Mix with the encouragement of my husband, because I don't think I was going to do it. Because at the time I was like, I don't want to start another hair product company. And I definitely don't want to start a subscription box because, you know, those markets are so very saturated that it's going to be very hard to even stand out. And so. But you have. <laughs> Thank you. What was your next step then? You touched on a lot of the points that I'm very curious about is how do you get all of these various ingredients? How did you start to first figure out the recipe mix, build the box, ship the box? Tell us about that process. So launching was actually a hurdle in itself. When we first launched, you know, I wanted to make money on day one. So I had pre-orders, right? And I just put a website up, told people about it. Everybody told me they would buy it. So I went back and talked to people so they would buy it. And none of them bought it. So it's okay. So y'all were just playing. Y'all weren't serious. Maybe this isn't really a great idea. I saw one box and it was to my cousin. And I was like, okay, Tim, this is a terrible idea. There's a reason no one's doing this. And he's like, Kim, Airbnb relaunched, what, seven times or something like that? It's some crazy number. He's like, surely if Airbnb can relaunch a few times, Chromex can relaunch twice. It's not a huge deal. I was like, okay, fine. So I went back to the drawing board. I read the book Influence. I think his name is Robert Shildani. Mm-hmm. And I learned like the seven principles of influence. I redid my website based on that book and everything that he said influences people. Then I rewrote all of my letters reaching out to different vloggers to partner with. And I rewrote all of my pitches. And so I ended up getting Refinery29 on board for the launch. And so at this time, I didn't have anything. I didn't have any boxes. I didn't need recipes. I didn't have any products, nothing. So I literally went to, I went and did what a DIY would normally do. I went and spent a few hundred dollars at Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, online, brought home all these ingredients and started making different things in my kitchen and seeing what would be something that we could actually ship that wouldn't spoil or that would actually make a good recipe people would want to try. I love that you validated your idea and you tested by making people pay for it to see, okay, are y'all really serious? Are you going to pay for this before you went down the road of spending those hundreds of dollars trying out all these products? So listen up, y'all. That was a major key right there. (laughs) Thank you. And honestly, I learned that because of my first business, we didn't test very many things. And I was like, look, if you want to make sure something's going to make money, if you want to know if people are going to actually care about it, make them put their money where their mouth is. If they pay down their dollars, then you know that you have something that's viable. And so after I went and bought all these ingredients, I came home testing some uh, different recipes. I kind of got a recipe that I, like, I thought would be something we could ship, which is a mud mask. Because, you know, it's pretty simple. Lots of dry ingredients and you add water at your house and you mix it up there. And then I just went and bought mason jars from Target because I was like, okay, well, I can give people mason jars. I think that'll be cool. And then I had to figure out my boxes. And at the time I found Brandon Color and Brandon Color, you know, you just send them a picture and they'll print the box out for you, but you can't ship it because... It'll bleed if any like kind of water touches it. So you have to put it inside another brown box. So, okay. So I kind of have the box figured out. And then I just went and found like little baggies. And it was funny. I ended up going to like a weed shop to get like the little quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get creative. I love oh it. I love it. I'm like, I fit in these little bags. And I'm like, what do I look like walking in here? I'm like, oh my goodness. But in long story short, we didn't end up using those bags because they didn't really secure the things that we needed. So I kind of had my MVP down, right? Mm-hmm. And that's minimal viable product, right? Yeah, minimal viable product. It, our box and packaging looks absolutely nothing like 
it did when we started. And I was, at first I was a little ashamed, but my husband and I, we heard some entrepreneur get, uh, with this quote. It's like, if you're completely happy with the first thing you put out, you waited too late. Like, oh, completely yes. Too late. oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yep. If you're trying to make it perfect, you're leaving money on the table. You're missing out on your window. And before, I just want to make sure I capture that where you got your boxes from. It's called Brand and Color. Yes, brandandcolor.com. Okay. And then they were like a baby, a dollar fifty cents a piece, but the MOQ or the minimum order quantity was about twenty-five boxes. So for somebody who didn't know what their, you know, orders are gonna look like, this is perfect. And so we launched September first. I didn't get any media at first. That was September first of twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen? Twenty fifteen. September first, okay. twenty fifteen. When I first launched and reached out to media, no one was really interested. So I went and looked up how you actually pitch journalists and what can make them open the email, right? And I would look at those pitches. And so pitching, the hard part is not sending the email. The hard part is doing the research on the person that you're pitching because you have to read three or four or five articles of theirs, actually make sure you're a good fit and not wasting their time and your time. And so that after I figured out who I was going to pitch, I read their work. I wrote an intro paragraph about the work that I saw that I thought was great and said, here's why Chromex will be an excellent fit for what you're offering. And then I pitched for 529 and they were like, you know what? Yeah, we're interested. We'll feature your launch on September 1st. And then everyone who had told me no, I went back to them. Essence, Ebony, all those other people. I said, hey, Refinery 29 is going to launch our uh, pitch on this day. I'd hate for you to miss out. And then all of the pitch, all the journalists start rolling in and everyone was like, oh, yeah, we'd love to. To include you as well, even if they had already told me no. So that was kind of funny that people just kind of jump on the bandwagon. That and is th- so smart. Yep. <laughs> and that's how we got 100 boxes sold on our first day. So we went from one box from my cousin to 100 from a, a bunch of people I didn't even know. <laughs> I love it. So, okay, now you've done your launch, but at this point, you're still mailing things individually by yourself, right? How did you scale up to actually get your boxes manufactured and shipped out? So all, everything that we do is still currently in-house only because I got some really good advice from a friend of mine, Gwen from Naturalicious. She basically was just like, you know, you can outsource fulfillment of your boxes, but the unboxing experience, it's going to tank. It's going to be terrible because a lot of these fulfillment companies, they charge you per card. So say, for example, if you want to put a business card and an info card and you want crinkly paper in your boxes, one, they don't do crinkly paper. They only do, you know, plastic bubble wrap or like some kind of cardboard filling. And then they would charge you maybe 50 cents or 20 cents per card or info thing you're going to put in your box. So essentially it's not cheaper to go, you know, to someone else, a fulfillment center to pack your boxes. And then it also worsens the experience for your customers. So it's like, okay, well, let me see how long she says stay in house as long as you can and try to hire a fulfillment manager or whatever you need. But at the time, there's a lot of research online about starting a subscription box company. So I just looked at blog, wetshaveclub.com. Mm-hmm. They have this really informative blog on uh, reddit.com about how they went from start to, you know, nothing to something. And so I saw that, oh, I need this kind of printer to ship or, oh, I need this kind of boxes or, oh, these are the prices for shipping. And at the beginning, I was paying way too much money for shipping because I wasn't shipping at first class. I thought I had to do, you know, U.S. priority mail. And that was a huge mistake. I was losing like several dollars per box doing that. So I switched to first class mail and we still pack in-house, but I just don't do much of the packing now. I've hired people to pack and ship for us. Okay. But I have a small team now to kind of do things. Wow. Okay. So there's several things I want to unpack there. So interesting. And I know it would be really helpful for people who are also launching boxes or just physical products. So number one, you talked about 
So it's not so much getting a fulfillment center to do it, but getting someone to pack the boxes in-house is more cost effective. Yes. And at first, I, me and my husband, we were the ones doing it ourselves. So I would go and buy hundreds of jars from Target. I would go and buy, you know, all these materials online, have them come to my house. So we'd have a facility. At first, we didn't actually have, like, we were moving around. So it's funny. We planned a trip to Asia for that October. And, you know, we launched in September. But I had planned a trip to Asia, like, six, eight months ago. So we had to go. So I had to, and we were moving out of our apartment. So we ended up renting a really nice storage facility and operating out of that for like the first six months of our business because we were moving around so much. We didn't actually have an apartment to stay in. So all of our stuff would be shipped to this storage facility. It was very, very clean, by the way. A lot of the places, especially in Atlanta, the storage facilities are like offices almost. You know, there's a conference room, there's free Wi-Fi, there's cookies, all kinds of stuff. So oh, we were awesome. okay. for like the first six months and it was only a couple hundred bucks for your actual, you know, 10 by 20 space. So it was really, really good. And it, except Mel. So it was awesome. And then you said shipping first class, you realized that you were actually losing money by not doing that. Talk to us a little bit more about that. So why is that cheaper? So USPS is the cheapest, you know, US, United States Postal Service. They're the cheapest, but they also have the worst service. So you might lose some boxes along the way, but overall, they're several of dollars cheaper than like a FedEx or a UPS or something like that. But they have two options. So USPS, first class mail, the box has to be under a pound, a pound or less. The dimensions don't matter as much. They just have to weigh less than a pound. And you don't, you can't have perishable items in there. So we don't ship perishable items. We ship like butters and oils clays and things like that, dry ingredients, and then you add the water at your house. But if you ship something over a pound, it now crosses into priority mail ter- territory. So if USPS first class is only maybe four bucks, it used to be like $2 and some change, but it's been going up a dollar every year. So it's getting more and more expensive. So keep note of that. This year, it's like $4 and some change. Last year, it was three and some change. But priority mail takes you up to six or $7 per box. So if you're only selling your box for like 25 bucks and shipping is $7 per box outside of the cost for making the box and all the info card materials and everything like that, you're probably not going to make more than like 30 or 40% per box if you're doing priority mail. So you really want to do like first class. So it's a lot cheaper. You know, it's four bucks per box and it's just a lot more room to grow your business. Hey guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsor. If you have a business or you know someone who does, you probably know by now that small business owners, we wear a lot of hats and some of those hats are mad fun. I'm not going to lie, but some of them like filing taxes and running payroll, they're not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for us small businesses. It's fast with simple payroll processing benefits and expert HR support all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes, so you don't have to worry about all that. Plus, they make it easy to add on things like health benefits and even 401ks for your team. So those old school clunky payroll providers that you probably thought you had to look at, they just weren't built for the way we work as modern small businesses, but Gusto is. So let them wear all of those hats for you. You have better things to do. Side Hustle Pro listeners, you get three months free when you run your first payroll. So test it out. See for yourself at gusto.com slash SHP. That's gusto.com slash SHP. 
Speaking of the mail piece, you mentioned that you ship dry ingredients. So how are you balancing coming up with these unique product mixes while still making sure that you can ship ingredients that won't perish and that will travel well? How do you do that? So it's funny the people who usually order boxes, a lot of them don't use them right away. They like to let them sit in their house for like at least a month. Some people do it right away, but most people wait like a month or a couple months to do it. So they also want things that they wouldn't spoil by the time, you know, it got to their house or if they sat in their house for a month or two. So it's still pretty easy to come up with a lot of, like there's so many ingredients out there. Burdock root, marshmallow root, Julian leaf. Just so many dry ingredients because you a lot of times you boil them. You take these really awesome ingredients that are rich in vitamins and minerals and you boil them. And that's how you extract what you need for your hair from them. So I'm not really sending people teas and things like that. I'm sending them the things to make those teas. You know what I mean? So I don't necessarily have to worry so much. I'm not shipping avocados and bananas. You know what I mean? Got it. Got it. And you mentioned that people like to let them sit. Now that comes from survey research, right? So how what's your approach to hearing and getting feedback from your customers? Like how often do you do that? All the time, every day. I have a, um, so there's a couple of things we do. We do a survey for our top 5% of customers. So after we had like customers and we were kind of coming up with mixes and we didn't really have a good way of figuring out what people like, what they didn't like, because we didn't really have a, a huge following yet. We sent out a survey to our all of our customers, right? So we have a mailing list of almost like 20,000 people. Back then, I think it was maybe 10,000. And so we sent out an email to all of our customers and everyone on our mailing list to kind of see what the difference in information was, to see what our audience looked like on the mailing list and what our audience looked like the people who actually purchased. The people who actually purchased were like skewed older, had more money, things like that. But then the top 5% of customers, they had a lot of money. <laughs> they were much, They were older than I thought. So I thought my audience was maybe 25 to 35 and people who are spending the most money with us were 35 to 55. So I was like, oh, wow. I was like, I'm not even marketing to this group. And it's kind of, you know, turning into this. So this is what I just shoot my marketing to. But to get customer feedback, we have a Facebook group that only Chromex customers are accepted into. So once you purchase, you get a link to this Facebook group and you can join and talk about your mixes with other people. And the benefit of that is that you can see what other people did differently or what other people's favorite mixes are before you even purchase them, like before you trust out a mix, you can ask people what they thought of it. And then also it helps us manage feedback. So instead of someone going on Instagram and ranting about how this box was, they thought was terrible, even if it wasn't, they might mention something in the group saying, hey, I didn't really like this box, what do you guys think? And people will say, oh, I liked it, but this is what I did differently. Or, oh, I didn't like it either. It's probably because my hair is color treated, you know, and then, that kind of helps me see what's going on with my customer because most people don't want to go online and fill out reviews. Even if they did or didn't like it, it's just a barrier to entry. Being on Facebook, it's just natural for them. It's like, oh, let me just type this quick message or, you know, and then they get to be heard by other people. And it's a community. People support. I have my worries in there. If somebody posts something negative or like just nasty, it's like, uh-uh, don't come in here with this. You don't mess with that. <laughs> Oh, very funny, very funny. So that is now how we do our feedback. And I honestly, before we come out with a new product, I usually post it in the group and see if they even want that. So last year I did a survey, you know, I thought we wanted to do, what was it? I was going to come up with something completely off base of what my customers actually wanted. And I did a survey and I was like, what do you guys want? Do you want us to do Chromex parties? Do you want, oh, custom boxes. We thought people wanted to be able to pick every ingredient in their box, right? 
you know, we we know people want this. We're just going to do this. And I was like, wait, let me just do a poll on Facebook and the group and see if people want it. And what's funny is they actually added, I had made a mistake and left it open so they could add their own little option. Mm-hmm. And they added the option of having pre-made products in a sample box. And that was the number one thing that they wanted. And I was like, this wasn't even an option. What? <laughs> Oh my goodness. And I was like, okay, well, you want pre made samples in the box? And I'm like, I'm not a product maker. Like, I make my own, but I'm not, you know, a, a cosmetic chemist because I make all the recipes because mm-hmm. I want to make sure I like them and that they're good on my hair. So I was like, this is just a whole other ballgame. So we ended up pre mixing all the recipes. They were the, not all of them, maybe four or five of our best selling ones. And that box sold more than our subscriptions that month. So I was like, wow. Like, so <laughs> just listen to your customers. They know everything. I love that for so many reasons. Because, yeah, number one, ask the people what they want. Give the people what they want. Like, (laughs) (laughs) done, done deal. And I agree. I think it's so interesting, your business premise, because I am one of those people that I'm just like, can you just put it together for me and send it? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So that is so interesting that that's also, but they still love that it's coming from you, Curl Mix, because you know it's just this authentic, built with love from the kitchen. And you don't get that anymore with a lot of our natural hair brands. Like it's becoming more and more like just a label people slap on the bottle, but it's just filled with all the chemicals like every other product. 90% of the products you see on your shelves have 90% water in them. And that's just the way it is. Like anything under $6, you're buying water. You know, it looks like something else, feels like something else, but you're buying water. I don't care what anybody tells you. (laughs) Well, good to know. So... (laughs) In terms of one last thing on the actual physical, the tactical part of being this subscription box for DIY natural hair, are there any tips in addition to like what you said about the mail that you've learned as someone who's created a subscription box? I think a lot of people think about it now like, oh, it's oversaturated. Will I make money? Will I lose money? You know, especially when you have a lot of ingredients, like it sounds like you were profitable from day one. So what misconceptions have you seen? So we were profitable earlier on, but the thing is, we just kept reinvesting into the business because mm-hmm. our chromic started out as a box, but I don't think it's going to remain a box just because people enjoy so many other things. So I personally, I would pick a box. And then I think the benefit of picking chromics, we don't have any issues with lead time from other brands. So when you do a box that has other companies involved. You have to be A1 when it comes to logistics and scheduling because these things are arriving at different times. You know, sometimes some company might be late with uh, sending the product they're supposed to be in the box or you may not get what you told your customers that they were going to get that month. You might get something else in the company. So I honestly think that that was a huge benefit of having ingredients because my only holdup was myself and what, you know, what supplier I decided to choose for shea butter or something like that. But my advice for starting a box company is make sure there's not five other boxes out there already doing what you're doing. <laughs> I think a lot of people, you know, we start boxes because, oh, this sounds like a cool idea. But you really have to make sure you're solving a pain. That's one. So like Chromex solves a pain. People don't want to spend hours mixing products they may not even like, you know, and they still want organic and natural ingredients, but they just want somebody to make it easier. And that's just the pain that Chromex solves. You have to figure out how you can be a painkiller and not a vitamin. So like something that's just fun, like something that's just convenient, you know, as a vitamin, not necessarily like a pain. So you don't really want to be super novelty. So Chromix, it definitely solves a pain, but there's something in the beginning, we were marketing ourselves as a vitamin. So it's like, oh, this is a fun DIY experience, but really it's people buy things that they feel like they need. So you have to have a box that people will actually need and not just 
think it's cute to have for a couple months. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Yeah, it's really good that you touched on that, the pain versus the vitamin, because there are a lot of novelty things that people create. And then they're lazy. On top of it being novelty, you're lazy about marketing it. Like you just want to drop right. your link. I know now because I have a Facebook group and people just want to like <laughs> drop their link. And I'm like, you could do that. But if you only understood the psychology of how hard it is to get someone to part with their coins, you would realize that this is not really going to be successful for you. <laughs> like, no, no, not at yeah. all. And so people come to me with box ideas. And most people, they think like, you know, I am experienced in this industry. Or I know what I'm talking about with this. So people don't really want advice. People say they want advice. People don't really want advice. No. They have an idea of how they want it to already be done. And I honestly think that's the wrong mindset to go into any business with because your customers are ultimately going to be the god of your business. They're going to say this is a good, this is bad. So you have to go in with open mind and ready to kind of hear what they're telling you. So that's just my advice. Yeah. And who are you getting advice from? Like you started out, you're so young and like you just seem to know a lot and you and your husband are killing it. Like what, what were you using as guidance in addition to that book, Influence, you know? Oh, I, so I read. I'm not a huge reader. I want to be, but it's just not what I've... I'm not trained that way. So I have to make myself read things. But I guarantee you, every time I read a book, it has made me more money in my business. So I'm getting over the my aversion to reading and I'm reading more things like venture deals or just a few other books. I read, I listen to podcasts. That's I love podcasts because I'm not a huge reader, but I love listening. What else? I go to a lot of conferences. I network with a lot of other entrepreneurs. If I meet someone who I know is smarter than me, who's in my industry, I try to get connected with them. I try to do something for them. One of the ways I built up my network in the hair industry is when I was doing the Natural Hair Academy, I was recording material for other professionals in the industry and creating content that they could use on their platforms that I could also use on mine. So I was recording educational content, which is how I became so knowledgeable about curly hair. And so like sister scientist, uh, Erica Douglas, she's one of my really, really good friends in the industry. And so I did a lot of video content for her. And so that's one of the ways I kind of, I'm, you know, we sit down, I help her. She helps me. I ask questions. She teaches me about her experience when, you know, as a cosmetic chemist and things like that. I have friends like, um, going from naturalists. I'm follow her all the time. I'm in a bunch of different Facebook groups for entrepreneurs. And honestly, I'm just a sponge. I'm absorbing as much as I can because I know that I'm young. And so I may not have all the success that I want, but I'm 25. Like I'll, you know, I know I'll get there one day. And so I have time to learn and I'm not taking that for granted. So just learning as much as I can, wherever I can. That's just awesome. And one of the things I love about you, you know, I've really come to know you through the Facebook groups that we're in together. Like we haven't met in person yet. And one thing I know for sure about you is you are not one to keep knowledge to yourself. Like as soon as you learn it, you're in the group like, hey, guys, I just tried out, you know, a month of Facebook ads. <laughs> And here's what I noticed. <laughs> bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. I was like, thank you. That is awesome. And I just, I don't know. It just, I, I just think, I get so excited when I learn something, you know? It's like, oh, I have to tell somebody. Like, someone else has to know this. Like, this is going to be so helpful. And it sort of saved me so much time had I known this yep. when I started, you know? And so that's, that's kind of one of the reasons I share a lot. And speaking of sharing, now I want to transition to the part all about brand building and marketing and going a little deeper there because you touched on it a little bit, various points of the pitching that you did for PR. Now, what were your real first step to structure and organize your marketing process when it came to Curl Mix? So to start out from the logo to the trademark to the, you know, colors and, you know, you talked about influence, like what was your process? Walk us through that. 
So for our logo, I so here for the, I started with the colors before I even figured out what Chromex was gonna look like. When my husband picked the name, honestly, I was like, I don't know if I want to pick Chromex. It sounds too close to Crowbot. And he was like, Kim, like you know, Chromex is available on all the social media platforms, like every single one of them. I was like, Are you serious? He's like, Yes. And he's like, And then two, like you want people to see the name and you know know what the business is right away, or at least have an idea. And you don't want it to be too far off base, and you know you don't want it to be long. My last business name was long, and the URL was long. It's a lot of little issues there. So you know what? I'm, I'm saying, all right, we're gonna go with Chromex. That's fine. So he picked the name, and then I did a lot of research for colors because I, you know, I feel like certain brands have an idea of what they're collecting. Like the Shea Moisture has like this beige, new type of colors going on. But I know other companies have these purple or these greens, like Qualified Nature and things like that. So I, like, I want my color to not be like any other color that's kind of out there in the industry. Uh, but I also want it to be synonymous with someone who's creative to make their own products, but also consider of the ingredients and, you know, organic things, things like that. And so I kind of stumbled upon teal because teal is a version of green. Green is, uh, symbolizes trust and natural and organic things. And then purple is our like complementary color. And it's, you know, for people who are creative. So we have like a dull purple and then like a, a bright teal. That's our colors. Um, so that's kind of the colors. And then uh, for the logo, I just played around with fonts and Google. I searched fonts and I just went through a bunch of different fonts. That I found one that I like and I didn't even really pay anybody to do my logo. I was like, oh, a spoon would be great for the eye. And I figured out how to do the spoon and graphic design. And then bam, like that was my Chromex logo. Once we got enough boxes together, enough orders on a monthly basis, I then sought out a manufacturer for my boxes. I don't use brand and color anymore because that's a great startup brand, but it's not anything to really grow your business with. I have a manufacturing company where I order, you know, a few thousand boxes at a time. And it's basically a one print box. So you have to pay for your plates when you first get a box. You have to pay for the colors, how many colors you're going to have on the box. If you want it to be an RSC shipper or if you want it to be something like, you know, thinner, but then you have to put it in another box, all, all these issues. So I designed my box and how I wanted it to look. And I sent them like, oh, here's my PDF. They're like, no, ma'am, we need an AI form. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you need to be done illustrated. I was like, okay. I was like, well, let me just hire somebody to just translate what I've done in Photoshop and then put it in AI. So they did that for me. And then that's kind of what we use after that. And so a lot of the branding and design has just really been me and my creative mind and some research. Uh, I will say that's the one thing I feel like I've been really good at is just having the eye for design. But I think my experience of photography has also helped me with that. And then my experience in building websites, knowing that less is more and clutter is bad and you don't need everything on the front page. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what about getting your boxes into people's hands? That's one thing to have people write about it, but we know that that's not a, you know, ongoing, like sustainable process. Like you have to continue to get it out there in front of people's faces. So what were you doing there? So honestly, from the first month, first year of the business, we had a vlogger present every box. So I know that, so we basically paid someone to kind of promote the box, but you know, they, they were in it, they did a video on it and that video will be used to create the info card that will go with every box to teach you how to make it. And so it was a really great tool for awareness and getting our name out there, but it was really bad for like sales. It didn't really help sales at all, to be honest. If you learn anything about using brand ambassadors, not necessarily brand ambassadors, but if you learn anything about using vloggers or people in the beauty industry, their videos don't generate sales. They just generate awareness. And so we did it for the first year and it really, really helped with getting our word out there about us and getting into the hands of some of the right people and building our customer base. But I stopped using them after about a year just because it just wasn't affecting the bottom line. 
And I would turn those videos into Facebook ads. And so those videos into Facebook ads are great because it has the authority principle that Robert Johnny talks about um, in his book. And then it also has social proof because then you see other people who comment underneath the videos like, oh, I love the box. Or, oh, I've tried them before. Or, and then they tag all their friends. And so then once you have a really good video that has a couple hundred thousand views, it kind of just goes viral. So it's like, OK, this is perfect. But you have to watch how much money you spend on it because Facebook, once they see you start spending a lot of money on it, if you stop they're going to expect you to spend a lot more money to keep that traction. So that's kind of how we got the word out initially. And we're still working on like a referral network or whether or not we want to grow the boxes because the boxes, like a box company doesn't have hard margins usually. If you're getting other people's products, then sure, and you don't have to buy them. That's great. But usually that's for like first movers, people who are much bigger or who started earlier on. But now I don't think a lot of people get a lot of free products. Sometimes they have to pay a small fee for them. And then once you've you know, filled the box and packed it, you're not making what, what, more than like 40% on the box. And to the average person, they're like, oh, that's great. Like, that's a great lifestyle business. But really to succeed in the beauty industry, you need 80% margins on your products. If you ever intend to go into retail or anything like that, you can't get 80%, you're not going to make it because basically retail takes half. So if your products are 80% margins and retail takes 40%, then you only bring it home, you know, 40%. It gets chopped down further and further and further because once you do retail, then you do distribution, you're probably not bringing home more than like 10 or 20% at the end of it. So if you have low margins, if you only have 40% to start on any of your products, you may not be bringing home anything if you ever go into someone's stores or anything like that. And I know that sounds kind of odd because not necessarily people who do boxes don't expect to go into retail, mm -hmm. but I have heard of offers of people who have boxes that maybe, so for example, caters to someone of an illness or whatever. Walgreens was in contact with them, you know, thinking about how they could put their boxes in the stores. But boxes take up too much space on a facing as well. So a box that's $50 can't compare with a bottle of shampoo that's 25 because a bottle of shampoo only takes up, you know, a quarter of the facing that a box would. So I don't know if I kind of got, I got off on a tangent there. But I no, that was I love what you brought in. No, you touched on really, really important points about the margins and to think about that. And it leads really well into, I wanted to ask about the investor piece because you've done a lot of different pitch competitions. What's your approach in thinking there? Because again, that's a consideration, like giving away a piece of your business and how much are you really going to bring home after that? Right. And so I have definitely considered the investor route and I'm thinking of possibly going that way. I'm not having decided yet. We're still looking into everything, but we've done pitch competitions and I've gotten lots of different advice from some people. Some people told me regardless of any competition I've been, I've usually made the most money of like a lot of the people in the top three that I've been competing with and I still don't win. And one of the pieces of advice that I got is your business is great. You're making money. We made like about 130,000 in our first year. And this year we're on track to do a little over 300,000. I wanted to do half a mil, but I don't think we're going to get to half a mil. So and that's fine. But one of the pieces of advice that I got is your business is doing great. You're making a lot of money. You guys are kind of early in the industry though, because a lot of people are DIYing, but most people aren't educated enough to DIY first. So you may not be super big now, but you're company has great potential for growth. The problem is you're pitching against a bunch of people who are tech focused and tech sounds so sexy when you're pitching it to a group of investors, because you can tell them my business is going to be 10 X, like you're selling the dream and that dream, that 10 X return on that dream is sexier than the five X return on your already established company. So, you know, you're probably not going to win a lot of these competitions that you're pitching in, but it'll be good for press. So don't go expecting to win because, you know, you just 
the business was in a sexing. And that really hurt my heart when that person told me that. But then I looked at it, I was like, she's right. Like, she's completely right. That there, it doesn't matter how much money I make, unless I'm making like a, a boatload of money or just a ton and ton of money, regardless of how much of success I have, somebody who hasn't made anything, it doesn't look as sexy. Cause you know, I'm in a saturated industry. I'm, I'm already a box, you know, I'm already a hair product company. So I have to figure out how we can make money for ourselves and then make money without investors. And once you're doing well without investors, that's when they want you. So they're like, Oh, I don't need you. It's like, Oh no, please, please take my money. Please <laughs> right. Cause they want to get on something that's already hot, already proven. Exactly. And so we went to an investor uh, conference a, a month ago or two or whatever. And I just got into the women in STEM program at 1871. It's like the largest tech incubator in the country. And when I got into the program, I wasn't able to stay for the day of the investor pitch competition. So I had my husband stay for me. And we basically got to meet with VCs and other experts in the industry. And they kind of gave us like basically consulting on our business for free because it was a black and brown founder event. And it was a wonderful event. Who was that? Uh, it was a wonderful event. And we sat down with one of the VCs and they were like, okay, so what stage are you looking to invest in? We told them all about our business. And they were like, wow, like, I might be interested in your company. And usually if a VC sits down with you, likes your company and everything that you're doing, and they tell you afterwards that they're interested, it's way better than them saying, send me your pitch deck first. And then, you know, possibly saying, oh, we might get together later for coffee. Mm -hmm. But if they're interested after the conversation, it's like a really, really good sign. But even still, the time between when they meet with you and then when they actually invest in you could be six months to a year. So we're still in talks with the same investor um, but we haven't decided what round we're raising. When I say around how much money we're going to raise, because, you know, how much money you give up is going to basically determine, I mean, how much equity you give up is going to give a valuation to your company. And you don't want it to be too low or you don't want it to be too high because it's going to make it very difficult to raise around the next time you raise money for your business. So we're still kind of figuring out that investment piece, how much we're willing to part with, you know, if we want to sell, if we want to be, you know, can maintain our ownership, what that looks like for us. And so <laughs> it's funny because I didn't necessarily think we'd be having these conversations so soon, but it's definitely, Kermit is doing better than I expected when we first started. And so a lot of people have taken interest and people want, it's not, people don't just want to invest in tech. They want to invest in businesses that are going to make their money back. I mean, that's why people invest because it's better than gambling. You know, it's like gambling, but it's better than say putting your money in an IRA. Mm-hmm. That's gonna take 50 years to get their return. If I invest in a company and I get five X in a couple of years it was way better than putting it, you know, in an IRA that was going to take me 50 years. Right. So, I mean, these are all, these are such good problems to have, Kim. Um, <laughs> No, but I'm really excited for you guys. And, you know, seeing the trajectory from the outside looking in is just wonderful. I'm always rooting for us, as you know. So I am just. But do you ever think about like, you know, hey, we built this on our own and we're doing great. Like, we don't need anybody else. Like, do you ever think about that? I do. I honestly do. (laughs) I do. It's so tough because it's like without taking VC money, it's very hard to really grow. I mean, think about a company like, and I'm not advocating for them really, but think about like Shea Moisture. Mm-hmm. Shea Moisture is a $500 million company. You know, they took an investment and now they're worth a billion dollars, you know, but without having VC money, without that extra cash, you kind of are like, you need a, okay, I'm giving you an example. I'm not Shea Moisture. Let's not use that example. Let's say Chromex, for example, right? Say, for example, if we had a marketing budget of, I don't know, $50,000 a month, you know, it would grow our business, you know, 10x or something like that. But right now, while we're 
uh, self-funded, we don't have a $50,000 marketing budget. It might be a couple thousand dollars a month. You know, that's all we really have to put towards it. And so <laughs> why not gamble with someone else's money instead of your own? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of one of the ways that I see it. And then like, you could totally be self-funded for a very long time. You can, it's just probably going to take you a little longer time to get there. And I say longer, like maybe you could get to, Maybe Chromas could be a $20 million business and in investments and, you know, five or seven years or less. No, maybe like five years. With investments, we could be a $20 million business. But if we stay self-funded in five years, we might only be a three or $5 million business. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's just, a, you know, I'd rather have 20% of a billion dollars than 100% of, you know, I don't know, $50 million. You know what I'm yeah. saying? No, so totally I'm, get it. I'm interested in investing. And we will be watching and following along with the journey. <laughs> so, so of course, now we're going to transition into the lightning round. You know the deal. You just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Sure. Alrighty. So what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Oh, wait, let me think. Oh, I listened to this and I had my answers ready. I just forgot. Okay. So let me think. My resource has helped me the most. This is going to sound so like whatever, but my husband, I, I'm, I'm not saying everyone go out and get a husband, but he's a great <laughs> co-founder. <laughs> he's a really, really good co-founder. My team, we are able to kind of sharpen each other because we all have very different ideas about how the business is going to go. And we're like, no, this will be this, no, and be that. And so we just, we kind of sharpen each other. So I know that's not really a lightning answer, but my team, oh, you know, my team, sorry. <laughs> It's fun and it's real. They say it's the best, you know, not the best, but it's the most important decision you'll ever make. You know, it's like who you decide to pair up with for life. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's so true. You know, he's just very strategic and very, you know, we have discussions about what, what direction we think the business should go in. And he's like, well, what's your research? What's your data tell you? And I'm like, well, no, I don't like this. And he's like, it's not about what you like. What does your data tell you? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So, you know, it kind of brings me, you know, full circle a lot. So I appreciate him for that. Got it. Um, number two, what drives you? My customers. There are some days where, you know, I want to quit because things are hard and what entrepreneur doesn't want to quit every five days. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Like, but a lot of us, you know, we, we go through, um, let's say entrepreneurs have like manic depression, you know, they go up and down one day. You're really, really high. One day you're like, Oh, I hate the world, you know, that kind of thing. But my customers, they always make me feel better. Like, I don't know. Even when people unsubscribe, there's some of the sweetest messages. Like, I love your company so much. I'm just budgeting and I just can't afford the box right now. But as soon as I get my next, you know, as soon as I can afford it, I'm going to be back on again. Or like they post messages in our Facebook group about how much they love us or how much they love the business or our Chromex parties when they come up to us and say, what you're doing is amazing. I'm so proud of you. That is just worth more than any money that I could have because those messages that I get, they almost make me tear up and nothing else is going to motivate me that way. Not my bills, not, you know, my family, but my customers make me feel like what I'm doing is really worthwhile and, you know, has a purpose in the world. So my customers. Uh Number three, what's a daily practice that you use to start your day on the right note and increase productivity throughout the day? Hmm. A daily practice that I use to increase productivity. I was gonna say drinking coffee, but that's not <laughs> that's the answer. Honestly, to be just forthcoming about everything, I am working on 
you know, productivity and scheduling. And right now my, none of my days are the same. So it's hard to say it's something you do every day. I do try to get one thing done though, trying to complete one important task, figuring out what that is for that day and making sure I do that. That makes me feel a lot better about things that I've done. And I can actually track my progress throughout the week by getting one big thing done a day. Cool. Number four, what's the best business book or podcast episode that you've consumed this year? Ooh, business podcast episode. You know, I will say I like my leaks episode on PR um, because she was talking about how so many people get PR off of just the fact that they're ready. And it has nothing to do with, because I saw so many people who I know, like, I know they're making less money than me. Oh, I know they're not, they're not as popular and they're not as this and not as that. But they were just, you know, things were just rolling down the presses for them. Just so many articles. I was like, you know why? I don't have my shit together. Like, I don't have a Dropbox of professional photos and signatures and press releases for all of our new, up, you know, up and coming things or a fact sheet of all the facts of my business or just a folder of all the different products and offerings that we have. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to get it together. And so I listened to our podcast. I created my Dropbox. Now you can just go to our website, look up press kit, click on it. And then you have all these folders, founders, images, product images, all kinds of stuff. And so I think that was awesome because I like tactical podcasts and that one really until now, you know, when we were featured on Windy City Live here in Chicago on the TV, you know, first TV appearance. I was able to just ship my Dropbox link to them or Black Hair Magazine. They wanted to do a feature. I just shipped, you know, sent them the link or whatever. And they're like, this is so awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're professional and organized. So that was really, really helpful. Yeah, I love that episode, too. And I've sent that link to a couple of people. And yeah, and I've seen <laughs> the, you know, the complete like 180 once they listen to it. So it's a really good one. Exactly. And then, Final question. What's your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about a steady paycheck? You know, it's funny that like people don't think that working for someone else is a form of entrepreneurship, but it kind of is like you're trading your labor for, you know, money. But the thing is, you only have your eggs in one basket when you have a full time job. And it's funny because I think that's riskier than being an entrepreneur where you have maybe four or five different side hustles. So you have four or five different ways to make money if something goes wrong versus the one way you have to make money, which is your employer. And so that's why I think side hustles are so important. If you can't run a side hustle, you can't run a business, you know? And so I really think it's important to diversify your way of making money. And so that's why I hope that encourages someone to, you know, consider having a side hustle or to even like quit their job and start a business. You really need to diversify your income so that you can basically have security in my mind. Amen. I love that. If you can't run a side hustle, you can't run a business. There you have it. That's it. Like we're done for the day. (laughs) Like when people ask me how I balance and how I'm doing this, I'm like, because I want to do this for my life. Like I have to figure, I have to make it work if this is what I want. Right. So there it is. And then I'll think about, sorry, I know you're trying to close. (laughs) I always think about like, you want to be in control of your well-being, you know? Your manager has that in their hands. You know, they, they can just, oh, we don't need so-and-so this quarter. Like, we're just going to... That freaks me out. I want to be in control of how much money I make, how, you know, what my life looks like, my time. That's the reason I'm an entrepreneur for complete... I want complete freedom over my entire life. I want to pick up and go to Italy just because I want to. I want to do that, you know? 
So that's not an entrepreneur for freedom. Yeah. And I know, right? Like we're supposed to be closing, but I will say too that the reason like this podcast is called, you know, Side Hustle Pro and not just entrepreneurship is that I really try to drive home because I have the same thoughts as everyone else. But, you know, I have the experience of quitting my job at age 24 and like ended up having to move back home with my parents and living there for like a year and a half, way longer than I expected to. And so I know, <laughs> I know that those impulse moves, like this is not, a podcast that's going to romanticize quitting your job or romanticize the entrepreneurship no. journey. So it's like, that is what some people want that some people don't mind living that way. Like it's, it's all about like being strategic and, you know, coming up with the plan, working the plan, and then you will reap the results of what you put in. So. And I didn't tell you this in earlier, but when I quit my job and I was working at the Fortress City and my husband's working at Starbucks, we still had our lifestyle that we had set up. We didn't have any money. So we were literally counting down to the cents where we were going to sit at the grocery store. Like, we were like, okay, we can only spend $87.32 so that we can afford X, Y, and Z. Like, we had never been like that in our entire yeah. lives because we've been together for like what, the last nine years. So that was a wake up cause. Okay, I'm not doing this again. We're not just walking around right. job just because. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's my when i have those rough days i'm like okay we're not going back there like because god forbid you know but still shout out to my parents for uh letting me move back home i love y'all uh <laughs> go okay. parents so how can side hustle pro listeners try out curl mix you can check us out uh, at curlmix.com. If you use the code i love curl mix you'll get five dollars off in the box or uh, anything you want to buy on the site but we do have Chromex party coming up and basically you get to meet me and my team and we are going to show you how to make your own hair products. There'll be food, fun, and you can build your own custom hair and body butters or hot oil treatments. It's truly a DIY ultimate workshop. Um, and it's 40 bucks, but you can get $10 off. If you can use the code side hustle pro. So I would love to meet you guys there and definitely come check us out. Awesome. I will see you at the DC one. And then what's the best way that we can connect with you after the episode? My personal Instagram is Kim and Tim Lewis, me and my husband. Uh, we've been together for a very long time. So we see a lot of stuff. <laughs> but you can also email me. <laughs> you can email me at Kim at uh, Chromex.com. K-I-M at Chromex.com. Love it. Thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair today, Kim. It has been a pleasure and a real treat to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad whoever reached out to you and said to have me on the show. I'm super excited and honored to be here. Of course. So, and like you. I said, you were already on the list. I was like, oh, girl, you don't have to tell me. She is on the list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kim. Good to know. Good to Talk know. to you later. Thank you. And there you have it. Hey, hey, thanks for listening. Now stay connected in between episodes by texting Side Hustle Pro to 44222. You'll get my weekly Six Bullet Saturday newsletters where I share what I'm up to, what I'm reading, my business tip of the week, and resources to help you grow your side hustle. And I'm working behind the scenes on some live events, which my email list will get access to first. So make sure you're in the loop. Text Side Hustle Pro to 44222 or visit sidehustlepro.co slash SBS.